faith, hope, inspiration, and edification. Welcome to the Edify Podcast with Billy Hallowell, a show that cuts through the cultural noise to explore the biggest headlines and issues of the day. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, and welcome to the Edify Podcast. I am Billy Hollowell, and I am so excited for today's show. As usual, we've got a great show coming to you with a great interview, and I'll dive into that in just a little bit. But before we get to our interview, I want to talk with you guys about the thing that's on everybody's mind, and that is the election, okay? The presidential election, who is going to be running this country moving forward from 2020 to 2024? That is what everybody has been talking about this week. And I think it's so easy to get stuck, right, in our fear, in our frustration, or to even get stuck in our excitement. I think for a lot of people who the election is going to go their way, they're obviously really happy about it, and they're really happy that the other side didn't win. And so it's really this weird thing where where both sides, one is enraptured and excited, and the other one is, is in fear and worrying. And I want to address that because normally I start the show with with news and we go into some of the headlines and I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to start the show with some advice. And the advice I'm talking about are the steps we need to take, the things we need to do once this election is over, when the dust settles, when we know who has won, this is how I believe we need to behave. And I don't care if your candidate won or lost. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. I don't care if you voted for Biden or Trump or anybody else in between or nobody because you just couldn't bring yourself to vote. These are the things we need to do. First and foremost, we've got to remember that our hope remains in Christ. And some of you listening might not be Christians, but bear with me and listen to what I have to say here. For Christians, our hope is in God. And it's so easy to get whipped up into the fear and the chaos and and the worry that can overtake us. But when we start with God and we let everything else follow, we realize that he orchestrates events. He allows things to happen. And we're told in Scripture that he allows leaders to rise and fall. And so we might not always understand why. It might not make sense to us. And I'm not dismissing it. Our feelings matter. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be happy. But it's what we do with that that matters. Because at the end of the day, no matter what happens, God is in control. And when we turn to him in prayer and we seek him, we can know that we can trust in the plan that he has laid out before us, not only in our own lives, but in in our nation. And so uh, we have to, again, keep our hope in Christ. Secondly, we've got to remember that the people we disagree with are not irredeemable. You know, we, we've turned each other into objects instead of people. You know, when we disagree with an idea or a movement or a party, we, we dismiss it as evil, right? And when I say we, I know not all of us are doing this, but a lot of us do. I know I, it's convicting for me to even be saying some of these things because of how I've behaved in the past. Again, People on the other side are not irredeemable. We might have different ideas. We might see the world through totally different lenses. And maybe we just strongly disagree. But no matter how much we disagree, there is nothing in the Bible that tells us it's okay to only love the people and to only care for the people who agree with us. In fact, we're told the opposite of that. When you look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 to 44, he says, quote, You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, think about that last part. Pray for those who persecute you. I have been saying all week that I'm going to take out a paper, a piece of paper, and I would encourage you all to do this, and I'm going to write down the names of the people who I believe are, quote, my enemies, people who don't like me, people who have done hurtful things, people who I'm not close with. I'm going to write their names down, and I'm going to pray for them. And 
I'm going to do that every day because I believe prayer changes things, but but also it's about changing ourselves. What's in our heart? Who are we? You know, it's so easy. We always make it about the other person, right? Um, but but a lot of the test of our character is really how we react and what we do when people mistreat us. What are we going to say in our own hearts about those people? Are we going to devote that time to pray for them? Are we going to go out of our way to do something kind or say something kind for somebody who has not done the same for us? That's important. And so we've got to stop seeing people as irredeemable. Um, on the other side, because you never know who's going to change. And listen, we're called to love our enemies. So it's not just like tolerate them, it's love them. And that's a tall, tall order. So the first was remain with your hope in Christ. The second was to remember that people with whom we disagree are not irredeemable. And the third and final thing we need to do, no matter who wins this election, is to pray for our leaders and for our nation. And I know that that's hard. You know, God's word calls us to pray for our leaders. And again, not just the leaders we like, all of our leaders. There's no exemption from Scripture's call to pray, right? It doesn't matter whether it's Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump or Mitch McConnell or you know Joe Biden. We need to pray for all of them. And I know, again, this is convicting for me because I haven't always done that, but we need to turn to prayer, turn to God. And here's the thing. If you think people are basically wrong-headed that their ideas are dangerous, you might want to be praying for wisdom for them. That might be a smart thing to do because you clearly think they need wisdom. And we know we're told throughout Proverbs and throughout Scripture that God gives wisdom when we ask for it. And so, man, that is just so, so convicting. So put God first, act with love towards others, and be sure to pray for the country and for our leaders. I will be right back, and when I get back, we are going to be diving into the issue of abortion. I've got a great interview for you that's going to be dispelling the myths of abortion. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Hey, it's Billy Hollowell, and welcome back to the Edify podcast. So we are going to dive into an interview now that we have with an author who's really, really fascinating. Her name is Danielle D'Souza Gill. She's got a new book called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. And before we bring Danielle on, it's a tough topic to write on abortion, and she's got a whole book on this and really just diving into this tough issue that has really for about 50 years now divided the country in such an insane way. I mean, this is such a pivotal issue for so many people in this country, in America, as we, and all over the world, really, as we talk about the right to life and what it means to abort unborn children and are they alive and all these debates that we have, there's a lot of myths that tend to emerge in this discussion. And so with no further ado, I want to welcome Danielle on the show to talk about the book, The Choice, and to tell us some of the myths that she believes are being perpetuated in the abortion industry. So with no further ado, let's welcome Danielle to the Edify podcast. Hey, Danielle, how's it going today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thanks for coming on. So I'm excited to talk with you because you are tackling an issue that is a big deal right now. Obviously, we're in an election year, and the issue of abortion during a normal year is a pretty fiery issue. During an election year, it's major. It's massive. People are very concerned about it. It's a major issue for both pro-choice and pro-life voters. And you have a new book out called 
the choice. So what made you want to tackle this topic in book form? Well, uh, I went to Dartmouth College and I found that on the campus there were these very left wing, you know, Planned Parenthood groups and so on, kind of pushing for Hillary, saying I'm with her. And uh, I thought it was a little bit odd. But then when I moved to New York City, I found, you know, Governor Cuomo lit up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate nine month abortions with no medical reason and said he hopes that the rest of the nation follows suit. About seven states allow these nine month abortions. We've heard you know, Governor Ralph Northam of Virginia talk about how um, even if a baby is born, it'll be kept comfortable and then a discussion will ensue. And so I think I just realized that the abortion issue is something that is at the forefront of what the left is fighting on. They're really fighting for nine month abortions. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are fighting for federal funding for abortion. And so I felt like we need to really unite conservatives behind this issue and also undecided people to see that this is a human rights issue and um, it needs to be at the forefront of our fight as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people will say, oh, you know, Republicans are one issue voters, right? And and abortion is the issue. And it's interesting because my, my experience has been that, sure, that's true for a lot of us. It's the main issue maybe that we're voting on. But I actually think that's true on the other side of the aisle as well. What is your take on that? Yeah, it's so interesting because whenever you look at the left and you see them talk about, you know, universal basic income, taxes, all of those things, even illegal immigration. It seems like they care about it. But when you really dive deep, if they had to choose, you know, what's the hill they're going to die on? It's not going to be taxes. It's not going to be any of those things. It's abortion. Abortion is at the center of the values they've been pushing since the 1960s. And so that's what we really have to fight back against. We have to fight back against it in the courts and in our laws, but also um, in our culture to create a culture of life. And unfortunately, we are in the midst of living in a culture of death. And so I hope that more people can kind of jump on this. And what I hope to do in my book is to really start with the pro-choice, pro-abortion uh, arguments to start with those myths and then go from there because I think so often we each kind of talk in our own echo chamber. So I wanted to kind of engage those arguments in the book. So let's let's talk about some of the myths that you present in the choice. What what would you say is the most egregious myth? The thing that you hear the most or that frustrates you the most, maybe? Well, one of the ones that frustrates me a lot is the idea that abortion is a positive good. The idea that abortion empowers women. The idea that you have to have an abortion in order to be a successful woman or achieve your dreams. I think that's a, um, a really terrible myth that the left puts out there and kind of sells in our culture in order to kind of dupe women into thinking that, you know, this is my ticket to be successful. And I just think back to Michelle Williams talking about that when she accepted her Golden Globe Award. She basically took her award and said, you know, without this, without my right to choose, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have this award. And I hate to see that message sent to young women around the country. So I love to see someone like Amy Coney Barrett kind of refuting that narrative and showing that, no, you can, you know, have a family and also be successful. Well, that's the most fascinating thing about Amy Coney Barrett is the fact that very successful judge, obviously, she is very likely to be on the Supreme Court and she has seven children. She's been able to to really do it all and has shown that 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 is possible. And it's interesting what you said about Michelle Williams. I think that that moment at that award show really did convict a lot of people and wake a lot of people up to the fact that this is the narrative that is being sent out there. And what's so intriguing to me 
is the level to which we have dehumanized unborn children, right? To the fact that we talk about it and people, and this is interesting to me. I don't know if you've encountered this. There are a lot of people who are pro-choice who I know and I love. We just, we deeply disagree on this. When you start to get into the details of what abortion actually is, they can't even talk about it. And so I guess for me, if you can't actually talk about the procedure that you have no problem allowing, then maybe there's something deeper there going on. Maybe there's a reason that you can't bring yourself to emotionally talk about it because it, it's an unborn human being, right? Exactly. And I think that's why, you know, they actually hate seeing pictures of it, seeing video, even if it's not um, extremely graphic or anything, even just uh, the idea of, you know, what the procedure involves, even just the medical facts, you know, Planned Parenthood doesn't even like to talk about it to the women who come in. They don't actually want to show women their ultrasounds. They oppose laws saying, you know, there will be a 24-hour uh, waiting period or time to think about this after being presented with the information because they know that once women see the ultrasound, once women hear the facts about the procedure that they're going to be uh, you know, performing on them that they actually most of the time they walk out of the clinic, they say, I don't want to do this. Maybe they look into adoption instead. But Planned Parenthood wants to say, no, we want to pull the, the wool over women's eyes and kind of just get them in there quickly to do this. And I think that's just a horrible way to operate in terms of pushing this on women. How have people reacted so far um, to this? Have you have you had a lot of reactions from pro-choicers? How are pro-lifers reacting to the book? Yeah, you know, it's been awesome because, uh, as they always say, if you don't have any haters, you're, you're not uh, doing anything right, I suppose. So, yeah, I mean, Planned Parenthood, they came out uh, with a statement actually when Women for Trump was started. They first kind of like named me and a few of the other women for Trump saying, you know, they hate themselves because they're women and they support life. And so they obviously, you know, don't support women. Women for Trump makes no sense. So that was kind of my first encounter um, with them. And then of course, since the book comes out, I kind of have nonstop people leaving me one-star reviews who don't actually read the book because they just hate Isn't that obnoxious? Isn't that yeah. obnoxious? Oh, I would never <laughs> do that to somebody I disagreed with. I would never go because you know, and I've written books, like you know how much work goes into that, right? And then to go and do that to somebody. Anyway, I'm annoyed yeah. for you because it's obnoxious. Yeah. And they, of course, don't actually leave any rational arguments. They don't want to actually engage with any of that. It's just about the personal insults, personal attacks. But I think that as far as people who are undecided on the issue, it's been awesome. Um, my book is bright pink. It's a little bit different than a traditional pro-life book. And that was one of my goals to kind of step away from the um, traditional looking pro-life pamphlet of kind of the woman's stomach and that sort of thing to try to appeal to more people and also to structure it in the form of, you know, directly engaging with those myths. And I think that's been really helpful for a lot of my friends who are uh, not pro-life because um, they're like, okay, I actually, I actually find this pretty interesting, even if I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, what their, what their views have been decided yet since my book came out, you know, less than a week ago, but <laughs> Uh, I think it's a great a great way to dive into the issue. Yeah, no, it is. And we have to engage with people. It's really easy. Like you mentioned echo chambers. It's easy to be in an echo chamber and to talk with people who are pro-life only. But the reality is that there are a lot of people who just don't know. And you wrote a book about myths because these are things that people are saying and they've been out there in the popular narrative. And it's so hard to convince people of something when they've only been told one thing, right? And so that's this opportunity that you have that is so incredible on this issue, how do you feel? Because I get this a lot since I talk about this issue a lot when people are like, 
you know, guys, dudes should have no opinion on this. Guys should not be talking about this. Like as a woman, how do you respond to that critique? Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of one of the arrows in their quiver of the left. They love to kind of say, oh, you're a man. Well, you must hate women. You must want to just control their bodies and all this stuff. And um, I think it's it's just such a horrible double standard because when you listen to the left's narrative, they often talk about, you know, men should be vulnerable and men should open up and, you know, share their feelings and all this. But if you talk to men and talk to uh, talk to them about what breaks the hearts of men the most, it's actually losing a child. It's um, not being able to be involved in that process. Oftentimes the woman makes the decision. She doesn't even consult him. If she does, she'll just say, hey, you know, hand me some money. And uh, if he wants to raise the child or maybe a grandparent, an aunt and uncle, or perhaps an adoptive family, there is there's no say for him in that. And so I do have a chapter that goes into kind of what is the man side of the story. And I look at this one man named Brad Allen, who really went on this journey to get his child's death certificate. And he did end up getting it. It showed the abortionist that signed it. And it actually gave him a lot of healing to see that, you know, this was closure and this was an acknowledgement of what happened to his son. And um, it really is just heartbreaking to hear the man's perspective um, on those things. And of course, to hear from women who later, you know, think more about it and kind of what that situation involved. I love that you covered all this in in the choice and and we're talking about this phenomenal book that you can go out and grab copies of right now. It's called The Choice and you know talking about this issue one of the things that often as a journalist and just somebody who I'm very open about where I stand on on this issue. There's not a lot of issues I go too crazy on this one I do because I think you know I covered the Gosnell case and so I was in the courtroom and I was always pro life but that particular case transformed my mind on this issue because when you're actually seeing these things and you're having these conversations that don't make any sense, right? It's like, well, you know, we could have done the abortion until five months and he did it two weeks later. And you start to say to yourself, well, what's the difference really? Okay. Well, he snipped the spines, which this is obviously graphic, but he snipped the spines of the babies, which is absolutely horrific. But had he done it in utero, it would have been legal, right? So you start to like, this doesn't make sense. And we often see when people have miscarriages or they lose a baby in the public eye, the reaction to that appropriately of, of sadness and comforting them. And then you say to yourself, but why are we then okay over here if somebody does it three months later as an abortion? None of this adds up and makes sense. Um, so what would you say to people to just on that? Like, what's your reaction to that? Because for me, that's been really convicting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I absolutely loved researching Gosnell. I'm glad you mentioned that because I just found that whole story just fascinating. And I do write about that in the book as well, just because it does show you the fact that, you know, there are really sick people out there who actually get some kind of joy out of, you know, harming these children, dismembering them. And as you mentioned, what is the difference between, you know, five weeks versus six weeks? What's the difference between uh, a certain cutoff point. And I think especially when the left argues uh, that, you know, personhood only begins at birth, it's like, well, what do you think of the child, you know, moments before birth? And also birth is somewhat arbitrary in the sense that there isn't like one second where there's birth. It's like birth is a process. And so what happens if you're dilating, going into labor? What happens if part of the baby is outside the womb? And of course, this is where we get into the whole born alive situation and um, the fact that Trump even had to sign sign that bill protecting those infants and the fact that Democrats even quibble with that and we have to fight them on that shows that, you know, even babies born alive, I mean, they're not safe either. And um, there's just so clearly an attack on life. And um, so 
it, it's just so clear. Well, I mean, the thing for me as, you know, going in, I, so I'm to believe that the only doctor, I'm sure that 99%, 99.9% of abortion doctors, I would hope, are following the law, but I'm to believe that, you know, and we don't have to agree with what they're doing. I'm just saying they're following the law. And I'm to believe that Gosnell's the only one who was violating the law. I mean, that's something I'm supposed to believe when for years this went on unchecked at this clinic and these babies were born alive and then murdered. I mean, so I'm I mean, I don't think anybody with a brain would look at this country and the number of abortionists and abortion doctors and conclude with certainty that they believe only Gosnell was doing these things. Now, I hope that that's the case. I hope there's nobody else doing these things. But the issue itself of life and you brought up a great point of when does life begin? You know, if a baby is born six at six months and it's a premature baby, suddenly that baby is alive. But had the mother carried the baby through eight or nine months, that baby would have suddenly been not alive again simply because it didn't come out of her. I mean, it's in, the insanity of these arguments. Um, it really shows you, I think, a couple of things, the level to which we're willing to delude ourselves and then the level to which spiritually people are very blinded to the reality and the truth in front of them. So having said all that, because I'm on my own rant about this now, what are you hoping people take away from the choice when they're done reading it? What do you want them to think and feel? I think a combination of things. I think in many ways, abortion is a very serious issue. It's obviously horrifying. But at the same time, I do try to go into uh, the inspirational stories of people who have really persevered through this, people who have survived abortion, you know, children who have been maimed or wounded through it, but are very strong, strong people today. And also women who've turned their life around from that situation, found healing from it. And other people who have, you know, had really difficult circumstances in life, but found that, you know, wow, this was really something that um, made me stronger as a person. And I think that there are just so many beautiful stories like that. And so I hope that from this, we can really create a culture of life in the country. Of course, I hope that we can change our laws. I hope we can overturn Roe v. Wade. But I think that has to go along with the changing uh, of people's hearts and minds. And of course, you know, I don't expect to convince the, the Planned Parenthood, uh, you know, leaders who are, who are making a lot of money off of abortions. But I hope to convince, you know, the everyday American. I mean, polls have shown that most Americans are not on board with late-term abortion. Most Americans aren't for federal funding of abortion. So I think that our our intuition on this is right because, you know, like you said, when we see it, it's just horrific. And um, it's just kind of about bringing that truth to, to the light for them. It's about them just saying, you know, wow, if I just devote um, a little bit of time to this issue, maybe um, maybe this is the only time I dive into this and then I'm done because it's, it's a painful thing to think about. But I think if they do, they'll really see that, you know, I do want to be part of the pro-life movement because there is going to be a positive outcome from it. And for so long, I think pro-lifers have kind of been hoping for the end of, of Roe v. Wade, for the overturning of it. And we're just so used to losing in the courts. We just always feel like we're losing. But um, what I like to say to pro-lifers is, you know, are we ready to win in the courts? Because there's going to be such a massive firestorm from the left. They're probably going to be doing far worse than Handmaid's Tale reenactments. And so we have to really be ready for that storm to come. And if we don't have that internal conviction, then, um, well, we're not going to be in a good situation. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I so appreciate your time. And then I thank you for writing this. I think I don't think I know this is a conversation we need to have and people get tired of having it. But it's a conversation that needs to continue because 
you know, as you said, the vast majority of Americans actually favor capping abortion at three months, which is really interesting. And it's a conversation starter, I think, even that pro-choice people do not like late-term abortion. And so when you start to talk through these things, you can work your way back to really some common ground and then work your way back even more to helping people understand the entirety of this. So thank you so much for your efforts. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And that's the end of the Edify podcast for this week. I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of the show. I am Billy Hollowell. And as always, loving this show, loving getting a chance to host this. And I'd love to hear from you guys what you want to hear more of. Um, Look, this is a show for you. We cover the news. We cover newsmakers. We have great people on to talk about the issues of the day. And I so appreciate you joining us. I hope you'll head over to Apple or wherever you listen to the podcast and rate the podcast. Give us a good, solid rating. Let us know what you think of it. And be sure to head over to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I.app. Go to Edify on the App Store on your Apple or Android phone. You could download the app for free. We've got thousands of Christian podcasts in there that you can listen to. And we've got some original shows like this one that you're listening to now. We've also got Politely Rude with Abby Johnson and Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond, among other shows. We've got the Prophecy Pros in the Edify Network and really just so many great topics from parenting down the line. So I hope you'll check that out today. Again, it's edify.app, and I will see you next week for another episode of the Edify Podcast with Billy Hollowell. Thanks for listening to the Edify Podcast. For more transformational and faith-inspiring podcasts, head over to edify.app, where you can stream thousands of Christian shows right now. And for convenience on the go, download the Edify Podcast app today from the Apple and Google Play stores and at edify.app.